few years ago, um, about this time of year, in fact, it, it was probably was about this time of year, it was just before I moved to Linfield, um, I'd been in a supermarket and uh, I bumped into one of the other dads from the school that my children went to. And I didn't really know him that well. Um, but, you know, you sort of see other parents in the playground. You experience uh, something of what they are. You sort of see them going off and playing and doing different things. And uh, I knew that I quite often saw him because um, in Northampton there's lots of distribution sheds round about. Lots of lorries go off onto the motorway. And uh, I knew that he was a shift worker uh, for, for one of the companies that had a warehouse. And shift work can be wearing, changing times and uh, whether you're getting the rest that you need always at the time that you need it. But as I saw him in the supermarket that day, he looked extra tired. You know, completely worn down, dead tired, barely able to push the trolley. You know, perhaps the trolley was actually holding him up. And I said, you know, are you all right? Is it, is it really difficult at work just now? And... He said he was fine. He just wasn't getting much sleep because him and his wife had had a baby. And then I heard about the feeding and the nappies and the bathing and the sleeping odd hours and the feeding and the nappies and the sleeping odd hours and the feeding and the sleeping odd hours. And I had great empathy for him and for his wife because I'd been there too. And I guess any of you who are parents or no parents of young children will have had an experience similar. It can take a while to get that balance of what has actually happened to appear into your life. We might have waited nine months for the delightful son or daughter. We rejoice in their arrival. But the newborn changes the pattern of life, introduces additional work sometimes simply confounds us. Yet we delight in that presence with us. That newborn sense of life is the context for today's passage. A mum and a dad with a baby that is not sort of roughly six months, as Josie is, but, but only 40 days old. And they're getting to grips with things. And despite the writer of Away in a Manger throwing in the line that says, Little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. 
I have to tell you that there's no biblical evidence for that. And in fact, if we have a proper theology that says Jesus was fully human as well as being fully divine, then probably there was a bit of crying going on at various times and a bit of sleep-deprived parents. Yet these parents go to the temple and honour God. They go to meet the Mosaic law requirement for the mother's purification. They want to recognise how God is part of their life, has a calling on their life, and how Mary could be cleansed, forgiven, renewed, choosing to live for the one God that is eternal. But what do we do when the pressure is on us? What do we do when the challenges of work and family just pull us in different directions or require us to burn the candle at both ends? What do we do when we are facing a fresh challenge that our past experience doesn't equip us for? Do we overcome that drain that is the world and still turn to God? Still give him our praise? Still offer him a sacrifice? And seek his wholeness to come and fill us? to direct our lives as the young Mary and her husband Joseph do. In going to the temple, they were going to do something that was more than a ritual. It was a coming to God. And I'm sure that they felt that there was more than simple ceremony to it. But they had no idea of who they would encounter or what words they would hear. Already, Mary has witnessed an angel, has heard amazing words from shepherds. And she took those words, those experiences, and she pondered them in her heart, we are told. But now it's time for something new. What would she experience at the temple? The two people the parents encounter are both, how shall I put it, Um, a good age. They are a good age. Anna is declared to be 84. And this is a time when anybody over the age of 50... I'm nearly there. So anybody over my age would be considered exceptional. You know, that's a fair chunk of those of us gathered. You are exceptional people. Remember that if you're over 50. You are exceptional. And yet she is there worshipping 
praying, giving delight to God. Simeon is a man that we don't hear quite how old he is. Not the same way as Anna. But he is awaiting the Messiah. As were all the people of Israel. But he is staying alive. God's given him a promise that he's going to see the Messiah. And he's kind of hanging on to that. Hanging on to that moment of hope that will come. And it's keeping him going. These are faithful people filled with the Holy Spirit, giving glory each day. Anna seeing many families coming through the temple. Many people coming to God to to do the ritual. Simeon, perhaps no longer able to attend so much, but is moved by the Spirit He is drawn there this day to be in that place. And so encounter the Christ child. And they each, from their different backgrounds, realise that this is the anointed one. The one that's been long promised. Israel's hope of a Messiah was commonly seen as a a mighty king. A bit like King David. David who slayed not only Goliath, but led troops to victory over tens of thousands of enemy soldiers. This is the type of Messiah expected, the one that is anointed like David was anointed. But the kingdom of Jesus will be different. And Simeon's words speak into this. Not just hope for Israel, but a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is a message that is spoken through the prophets. It's there in the scriptures for all of God's people to know and to read and to come to understand. And Simeon seems to be echoing a few chapters of Isaiah in the few words that he says. But that understanding of the anointed one coming for all is not the widespread understanding of the people of the time. But Simeon sees it. Simeon sees it. And he speaks of a new hope for all. He understands that there will be forgiveness of sins, a promise of eternal life, a hope that will come But for the next 30 odd years, few will see that in the same way. Even Jesus' closest friends will be thinking of that other sort of Messiah, the King David sort of Messiah. But Simeon knows different. He truly is a man of God. 
And this man of God in the temple, who saw the parents coming in, would have seen them holding the two birds for sacrifice. And knowing that they're not wealthy, they're not kingly, in that traditional sense. In Leviticus 12, we see that the law required a woman to bring a year-old lamb as an offering. And then there's a suggestion later in the chapter that instead of the lamb, if you couldn't afford one, you could bring a bird. The two doves or pigeons are an alternative to a lamb and a pigeon. Birds are something that could perhaps be caught. Don't know about you, but certainly in my garden next door, you know, I get pigeons there. Pigeons are reasonably common, even in the Holy Land. I I had six white doves, by the looks of it, the other day in my garden. There's something that could be caught that didn't necessarily have to be bought The law required people to bring to the Lord whatever the level of riches or of their poverty. God does not expect individuals to give more than they can afford. But yet does call upon us to lay before him, including our time and our talents, what we can give, what he knows we can give. Simeon sees that Mary and Joseph are poor, but yet they're bringing their all. As the son is presented, all is given. And so Simeon's words to her that day look to a day that is yet to come. A day that she will experience with tears. When that sacrifice takes place on the cross. And a spear gets thrust into Jesus' side. And blood and water flow out. Ensuring that he has died. A sword will pierce your own soul too, Simeon says. He declares that to Jesus' mother it will be difficult. It will be painful. It will be agonizing. And hence, she may question all that has happened. And weep as if all is lost. Because that is where she will find herself. At that time, at the foot of the cross. And the words he speaks directly to Mary must themselves have been cutting. He'd spoken of hope, but the mood is now challenging. 
There's been a roller coaster of emotions that must have swept the parents. What were they to think? And at that time, as the most difficult word is shared, Anna appears. God brings her into the presence. God brings her across the temple courtyard to ensure that when they go to leave the temple, it's hope for the future, not fear, that will fill their heart and mind. It is encouragement that they receive. The prophet, having met the family, becomes maybe the first evangelist, speaking of the child to all the people who are searching for God's hope. That she spent day and night in the temple courtyard, she would meet those from the city and those from afar. And the news of redemption for Israel would be told. And it would travel. Her age is not a barrier. Nor is her gender. Note that here we are just with a 40 day old Jesus. And we see a female prophet speaking of God's word. Because in Christ there is no separation of Jew or Gentile, male or female. God calls many people from many different backgrounds and a wide variety of life to serve his purpose and declare his truth. Whoever we are, God offers us hope in Jesus. Hope that we can be refreshed by his spirit. Hope that we can be led forward. Hope because we will be forgiven when we trust in him. Hope because we can have life and life in all its fullness. Be it as a youth or a young parent. Be it as someone who's a few years older. Be open to what God might have in store. Be ready to experience his word for you. Know that God is good. That he loves you. And leads you forward. Amen.